Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Bootstrap Web. Mr. Brian Castle, how are you? Hey, here we go. Friday, uh, May 19th. I think it's kind of fun to actually say the date now. Because we like, publish it half an hour. Later. I'm going to publish it later today. So yeah. Yeah, let me rephrase. You publish it like half an hour afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh, I just throw the music on it and click publish. That, that's all we got now. There you go. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, so uh, so we've got another another good one. We're um, we're just kicking around ideas of what to talk about. Uh, yeah, got a few things. I got some. Yeah. yeah, so I had an interesting experience this morning. Well, yeah, between yesterday and today. Um, Shopify comes out with a big announcement, a big long post on LinkedIn, on Twitter, the comms engine revving, the whole deal. The big announcement is Shopify did a study and concluded that their checkout converts 36% better than the other platforms, Big Commerce, Salesforce, and Magento specifically called out in the study. So immediately the audience gets split in half. The super pro Shopify boys are, oh my God, our platform's the best. And then everyone else in the market is saying, hold on a second. If you're gonna make that big of a claim, like maybe show the data, maybe tell us if you paid for the study, Maybe tell us who did the study. So then it yep. you know creates some controversy. And <laughs> I, I saw some opportunity in it because obviously it's talking about checkout, it's talking about Shopify. And we've talked about this before. There is a thick layer of irony in the mm -hmm. fact that we are selling a Shopify-like checkout to merchants outside of the Shopify platform. Right, that that's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of irony yeah. that we effectively allow merchants on those platforms that they called out to have a great checkout that behaves similarly in terms of the ability to recognize shoppers that come back. So, so I did my own retweet thing, and lo and behold, it, it's generating leads. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your tweet, and like you sort of like called it out. Um, and you sort of end it like your call to action at the bottom of your tweet is if you're a merchant on Commerce Cloud, Adobe, Big Commerce, there's an easy way for you to get an incredible checkout without needing to re-platform. Yes. Get, Don't go to get Shopify. On, uh, get on Rally. Yep. Yes, that's that's right. Uh, so I thought. And that and and I mean, just looking at that, like, mm -hmm. OK, like there, there's some information in there, but it's clearly a promotional tweet, which most people think might think that like, oh, that's that's self-promotional and and is is that even worth doing on Twitter but you saw some business from it like what yeah so it is it's inside baseball is what it is it's not actually promotional right it, it is talking about a piece of news that our audience knows about mm -hmm. right everyone the, the merchants everyone who's on Twitter and LinkedIn that talks about e-commerce the agencies, Definitely the people and the executives who work at those other platforms, this is a topic of conversation. So I was able to take it for granted that they knew what I was alluding to, that it wasn't self-promotional. And the, the key part of that was the honest analysis. The honest analysis is one, it is completely self-serving and you cannot believe a word these people say. However, the truth is everyone knows their checkout is better than Big Commerce, Magento and Salesforce. And yeah. I, I, I saw that opportunity to come off as credible because I was being a little critical, but also honest. And yep. a few minutes after I sent out the tweet, I got a DM from a 
massive enterprise merchant on Salesforce saying, Hey, I want to talk. So, yeah. you know, stirring things up on Twitter. You know, it's an, it's incredible. I mean, we were just talking about this. Um, look, like a lot of business actually gets done in the DMS of Twitter, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's happened. It's actually happened to me recently. Like, uh, I think a, a listener of this podcast, um, I'll, I'll just be open. Like, so, uh, Carter, uh, Bryden, uh, founder of approximated is this cool little, um, tool for like mapping, uh, custom domains to your SAS if you're offering that. And that's actually a, a feature that we're building right now. Um, we're in the middle of, uh, of the technical issues around that. Um, cool. We, we do that also. It's pretty, pretty common and not, not a fun piece of it's, technology. It's pretty common and it's very, very complicated to get right and to, and to handle it. The right, and, and clever. so it, clever. Yeah. So. So it's one of these things where I mean, and and you know, just to be fully transparent, we don't know uh, which way we're going to go yet, or whether we're going to actually use a service like that, or or build it in house, or or what. But um, it's just one of these things where it's. I, I think he was listening to the podcast uh, and DM'd, and like now I'm aware that his company exists, and it's actually something that my team and I are closely looking at as a, as a possibility. You know. Um, so you know, like these these things, like it it helps to to be public about and, and actually make these announcements or or just share your observation on stuff, even if it might come off a little bit uh, promotional or just I, I like to me, it's not really promotional. It's more about like um, being public because I think that there's this tension. I, I don't know if you okay, okay. I want to get like, into this because I, I don't I, I don't know if you because I you know I, I try to be as public and and outward of on the work that I'm doing as possible. And I try not to come off as promotional, but I know that sometimes it probably does come off as promotional. So there's there's always this tension of like, oh, should I? Is that too salesy or too self promotional? Should I even tweet that? Are my are my followers going to find this interesting? Um, you know. But like, I think that uh, too many of us, especially the more technical creative founders, tend to shy away from from being public because it comes off as too self promotional to a fault, to a mm -hmm. point where it's like, you actually have something yeah. really cool and really interesting and informative to talk about, you know, put it out there. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it is, I, look, I think you do it, you do it the right way, according to what I think is the right way. You, you work publicly and that creates touch points with you as an individual, your company, your product and the features. And marketing is all about those touch points. You don't actually know which one is going to work. You don't know what happens inside of a company, inside someone's mind, that the one weird message that you just happen to put out there is going to be the one that triggers them to say, I think it's time I reach out to them. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. But So you do need multiple touch points. And working publicly creates those. Where, where I think a lot of people have, I know I have difficulty. I'm assuming a lot of people listening have difficulty is there is this certain tone in modern one-to-many communication. Like I'm by myself in an, a room writing a post on LinkedIn, hitting publish and a bunch of people see it. There's a tone that used to be like a boring business tone that like as soon as you started writing for a business, like it went into like this very like hokey, like non-conversational tone. Now the tone is just boisterous. It's just wait till you get a load and how incredible this thing is. And the team is so incredible and the yeah. growth. It's just, 
and that's such a turnoff. It must work to an extent because people just keep doing it. Maybe they're just defaulting to it. But yeah, I don't. And, I don't want. I don't want my company to sound like that, and no. I definitely don't want my myself to sound like that. It's like it, it's freaking embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess they're going for like creating like an aura of of success, and and whether it's true or not. And to me, that's just not interesting. And like, and and also just the act of sharing and being public about it, like. Obviously, I want to get customers, like, but uh, but I don't do it for the purpose of like, oh, this is a sales channel that I'm trying to double down on. I do it for the purpose of like just sharing my work because I am interested in in sharing the work, but also seeing the work of what other people are doing. Um, so I I just think that it's people like me who I'm super curious about like how people how other people operate, how they create, how they build. Like I'm fascinated by that stuff. So I try to share what I think other people like me would want to see. Right. I, I don't know if either if either of us are right. Right. There, I, I'm definitely hurting my business by not being boisterous and and like, you know, bragging enough. And you are also, but we, you know, we gotta play this game the way it makes sense. Yeah. I also I and I also never have a clear sense of like, okay, my personal followers, like people who follow my personal Twitter and I guess people who listen to this podcast. Um, I, I mean, I know that there are actual customers in, in that Venn diagram, mm -hmm. but uh, I think the vast majority are probably not customers and they're just following another founder or creator or builder for, you know, that's what they're interested in. So yeah. So they're yeah. more interested in like the behind the scenes case study of, of it all. Um, right. Right. But then, yeah, but th they are marketing touches at the same time. Right. There, there yeah. is an element to yeah, there. There's still the element of like, oh, they, and they happen to work at a company who might yes. become like, a I just, I just went to LinkedIn real quick to just see if I could find one of those posts like quickly. And like the third post in it's like all there. <laughs> right. I'm not going to name the company. I, I love this founder. We're like friends. But the post is tomorrow is a big day for us at X. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's probably where e-commerce must be very different from oh my like God. SaaS it's, in general. Like, because I'm I'm just not plugged in at all. Maybe to that's e-commerce. The, the Shopify—it's it's not in my feed. I'm not yeah. I'm not in e-commerce, so okay. I don't know. Yeah, the Shopify yeah. ecosystem requires this. You have to be seen as on on the inside, mm -hmm. and everyone wants to be on the inside. So that's like what creates the the desire there. Right. So tomorrow's a big day for us at X. We're sharing something that has been in the works for over a year. We think it's going to change the way folks think about X. Excited mm -hmm. to share the news and how we came to this place tomorrow. Stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> like, come yeah. on. Watch come this on. space. It's, it's too much. <laughs> yeah. It's too much. Yeah. Man. Uh, but, you know, actually, this, I, this is related to an idea I want to bring yeah. up. Yes. Um, Transition. Okay. This concept of founder shadowing. Okay, okay. okay. I, thought, I thought you were going to go with does marketing work? Uh, well, I, I want to get into that too. I feel like that's the theme of like the, the whole year of this podcast. But anyway. True. Uh, uh, all right. I've been thinking about this like um, as a thing I was actually going to go to some of my friends uh, and just ask them if this is a possibility. I don't you know what form it would take. All right. The, the so idea you, is- What do you mean by, by shadowing? Okay. Just to see, like I think that I would benefit from literally being on the inside of someone else's company for, I don't know, like an hour a week, or maybe, maybe just uh, call it like, like a one month 
stint where where I'm checking in a couple of times a week. And if it, okay, let, let me tell you where this is mm-hmm. coming from. Okay, okay, I, I'm into this. Go ahead. <laughs> I am, I'm well connected to many other founder friends, and we have really um, transparent conversations about business and about how we operate. Yep. Um, I also follow podcasts. I'm also on Twitter. All of that stuff. And, and that that all has like varying levels of like how deep and how transparent you can go. But still, it never gets below the surface level where it's like you actually see what the dy- what the dynamic is, what the operations look like, what the processes look like. You know, um, you don't get a firsthand look into how somebody else operates their team, operates ships of ships of feature, does yeah. sales. Yeah. Um, you might get a really good. You can look talk about it. You could describe it. Yes, but you're not but, well, seeing it. Even then, I, okay. So what you're what you're saying triggers a lot of stuff. Even if you do get a good look, you get a very narrow look at the problem that you're talking about right now. How do you do customer onboarding? Help me, and yes, then you get and, a into that. And you're only getting a look based on what the other person is telling you. And okay. as, as well-intentioned as they might be, they might be describing it in detail, but it's still their perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, because, okay, it's like I, my, this started from thinking about like, because I've been looking at, at our process for scoping, building, shipping features in our software product, right? Um, and we're constantly trying to improve our processes internally. And, we, and I think recently we, we've made a few tweaks uh, in terms of how I communicate with my developers, how we handle each feature, how we use pull requests, how we do testing, how we ship it. But for me and my personal experience, I have, um, this is this I feel is like a blind spot in my experience because um, I've been technical my whole career. I started as a web designer, front end design, HTML, CSS, did a lot of with WordPress back in the day. And then fast forward a bunch of years. And it wasn't until like 2018 that I really started to learn backend Ruby on Rails and full stack SaaS development. But once I got to that point, I only learned the software development cycle and workflows and stacks for my own purpose to build my own products and bootstrap my own products. I was, I've never personally been part of a software development team at another company. I've never been hired to do Ruby on Rails development or any sort of soft. I, I've been hired as a web designer, but not as a software developer. Those are two pretty different things. Yep. Um, so I don't know how like larger companies actually, actually run product. Mm-hmm. Even, even the role of product manager like our head of product, which I am in my company. Right. I, I don't know what that role actually looks like in a more established mm-hmm. software company. A lot of that is the special sauce of larger companies that are successful. Yeah. But it's even awesome. smaller companies, I, I'm, I'm more interested in, in companies of my size or maybe just slightly bigger. Right. So mm-hmm. I've got a team of four developers plus myself. I would love to see what it actually looks like on the inside of a SaaS company that's maybe 10 people. Right. They've yeah, got a small, I'm only, small development. 
Yeah, I, you know? I think you would love to see how Jessica runs our product. Everything I would absolutely it, love. Like, how how do you how do you do this? How do you manage yeah. all this? I don't I don't understand. And and I've got my whole my own process of what I what I think works for me and my small team, and I've been doing it for years. Right, it doesn't but, mean you adopt the other person's system. No, but you but learn. like I've only figured it out on my own, and mm -hmm. you know, um, and I don't have much to compare it to, and that's the whole point of like the idea of being able to hop in and like shadow, and I think it would. Obviously, you would have to have a close friend relationship in order to, like, <laughs> yes, yeah, so you have to overcome some shame and some things that are embarrassing. That and, and privacy issues. And, yeah, and, that's right. You, you know, so like somebody that you really trust, but, um, and, and it's like, I, I've got enough like on my plate. I don't, I don't know when I, I could realistically fit this in, but the, but the, just the thought in general is like, if you are developing a, a new feature for in, in your app, maybe like, and and you're doing like calls with your team or you're reviewing pull requests or or you're chatting in slack or whatever it is however you communicate throughout that process like i would love a firsthand look at that just for a limited window of time just to see what that looks like and like what you know i, I see this discussion like what was the outcome of that review and then and then where did this go from there and like how did you move the ball from from this point in the field down to the end zone, like how, you know, um, I just, and, and I, and I really believe that everyone's company and their team dynamics and their communications and their operations are wildly different. I, yeah. you know, we can all talk about like, Oh, the, these are the tools to use. These are the processes to use. This is the, the industry standard yeah, workflows best practices. But I time. think that the way that it looks on the inside is wildly different from yeah. one founder to the next. Yes. You know? I'm and sure I think that we'd all have like a crazy. ton to like learn just from sharing notes and just seeing it firsthand. Yeah. We, we, so, yeah, we all do this on a limited basis. I, th I think the most interesting part of this concept to me is the things that you would learn that you don't expect to learn. Like yes. I often go to the Slack group with the Portland uh, friends that I have um, that all run software companies. And I usually go there with a specific problem. I say, we are struggling to do, let's just say feature announcements. Like, does anyone have like a good process or blog post or something? And then it'll be, well, we actually do this. And what we found is if we do it this way, then if we also put in the in-app message and, you know, and you get to learn about one specific thing, but and, I'm and, sure. And I have the same exact thing with, with my group. Right, and, right. But people look to each but, other. But still, even that is like, okay, well, somebody, one of our friends described their experience and wrote it up as a response to your question. And that's their like recap from their and perspective. Their interpretation of memory. Also. But, but I bet that if you were on the end, not that that person is like lying or misrepresenting, but like, I bet if you saw that firsthand in the company, you'd pick up on so many details and so many dynamics between the team members and their interaction and how it all comes together that maybe that person is just not even aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's like, it's just shadowing. It's just like seeing, you know, um, yeah, it's like okay, act natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Monday yeah. at nine a.m. Do do what you normally do. And <laughs> you know, I I just I think this idea might not even be feasible at all. Um, obviously, but like I just I just think that it would be so, like a beneficial exercise. I certainly would get benefit out of it. I I'd imagine that a lot of other founders would too. You know. Yeah, I I have I've confronted this issue recently around our go to market function, and. 
and then when you become fixated on on learning more about something, it's amazing. It's amazing these things that you, you start to connect and then reach out to people. And then you you it's like you realize that you were like colorblind. That you were like, yeah. oh my God, what was I what was I doing? At, at least for us, it happened from a narrowing uh our ICP focus. And then all of a sudden everything became obvious. We're like, oh my God, our our this is wrong. It's not, it's not meeting the expectations of this ICP. And so no wonder we're having trouble between this step and that step. Yep. And then you start to then you start to reach out to people and say, "Can you help me? How do you do this? I know you're an expert in this. Can you jump on a call with me?" And then you start to learn about that that area in a different way. Yep. yep. Yeah, man. Let's get into that. What What are you? Okay. What are you talking about? Okay. There? So, over the last few months, we have been running a few experiments. I think I, I think I talked about it here as like bets on the table. We had a bet with SMB. We had a bet with Headless, and we had a bet with. I'll use the same terminology that I used back then, which was enterprise. And if there's or, anything- Or mid-market. Exactly know. right, exactly right. <laughs> so we, back then we called it enterprise and yeah. that's right. And so it feels for us very much like the time for experimentation is done. We, we have our info and we have our conclusion. And that conclusion is to zero in on this mid-market ICP that is on those platforms, right? Um, Magento, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, Commerce Tools, SAP, and some, some big commerce, larger ones there. And as soon as we did that, when I looked over at our go-to-market function, like, you know, every step, what we say in our outbound emails, how we respond to them, what the next step is in the process, is it called a demo? Is it called a consultation? Like all of the things have to be lined up to meet mm -hmm. the expectations of the people you're trying to sell to. It all of a sudden looked like a, looked like, chaos. One thing made sense for self-serve. One thing made sense for enterprise. One thing made sense for sales driven. The other thing made sense for, you know, come into the product and start a free trial. It was all over the place. And the clarity of the focused ICP uh, made that very obvious. And so I started, re I started reaching out to people. Uh, someone at a company that we work with that I really admire as their go-to-market leader, I reached out to her. We had a few conversations. We might work together on like adv advisory basis, but I learned a ton, right? There's so many things um, that seem obvious in hindsight, but then when you learn from someone else, it like hits you the right way. And you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I forgot about that. So a lot of it feels like I'm relearning lessons from Cardhook. One of the things that we were really successful at in Cardhook was, was the, the psychological aspect of our sales process was on the money we made people want to work with us mm -hmm. and we did it through the process and through confidence and some of it by accident and some of it on purpose so when we switched from free trial to not to demo but we didn't call it a demo we called it apply to work with us mm -hmm. and then we took that premium position and people were like that not not that they were begging to work with us but they were qualifying themselves to us not the other way around and it's much easier to sell that way yep so with Rally, you know, when you start off, like you are desperate, it is hard to hide. You're like, yes, just come on the freaking platform and work with us and tell us, give us some feedback. We need, uh, you know, yeah. these first customers. And we still have a bit of that residue of desperation, of over eagerness. And so that go to market leader that I spoke to helped like, hey, don't forget about the psychological aspect, especially when you're selling to larger 
merchants. Yeah, you, and it's counterintuitive, right? Like you, exactly. it's it's early stage, so you the the instinct is to like remove barriers. We just yes. want to increase lead flow, right? Whatever you uh, want. Yeah. Yes. yes. But, so, but you still need to uh, sort of like add barriers to 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 kind of funnel into like these are the perfect people. That's us. right, and qualify and make sure yeah. you separate out the people who are ready to buy versus who's just talking. All these different things. That, so then I spoke to someone else who's like a you know a VP of sales type, and then of course he recommends this book that I have on my desk right now called Founding Sales by Peter Kazanji, if I'm pronouncing that right. I think he actually spoke at a microconf in Vegas a while back <laughs> when we were there, and I was like, oh, sales driven, you know that sucks if you don't have endless years of inbound like we do, uh, and now I'm regretting that mindset. Hmm. and reading this book and kind of like revamping our go-to-market process. So overall, it's just felt like as soon as we focused in on the ICP, everything started to become obvious. And now I'm like back in like learning mode. I don't know if we're going to end up hiring a VP of sales type or what if we're going to run this on our own first. And then this term, this term ICP, like uh, for those Ideal who... customer profile. Yep. So all the things that make up your ideal customer size you know buying decisions geography demographics culture uh, yep. revenue all the stuff are you um are, are you zeroing in on that right now or are you sort of like looking at multiple uh, personas of what that might look like How, where, where are you at in that process we are zeroing in much more than we have over the last year over the last year was hey if you're on a platform that you we have an integration with let's talk mm -hmm. Uh, and we needed the first cohort of customers. We needed feedback. We needed revenue, all that stuff. And I, you know, what, what's happened to us I'm trying to, uh, to say this the right way. We have customers and they pay us, right? Like our, our average contract value is relatively low because most of our customers are the ones that we got early on. And we're just like, whatever, man, just pay us whatever the hell you need. We need, we need people in the system. And now we have more confidence, so we're more strict on pricing. But overall, the average contract value, it's not that big. And over the last two, three months, as we've started to build integrations for these bigger platforms, we're starting to work with much larger merchants. And the average contract value of the proposals that we're sending out is you know, 10, 20 times as large as the customers we have right now. And that pretty quickly starts to dawn on you like, hey, we should be it's pretty obvious what we should be doing here. We should be gearing everything in our go-to-market toward these far larger opportunities. Because you know, signing one customer at 100,000 bucks a year, it's just, I mean, you, you grow a lot faster mm -hmm. and a lot easier and a lot, a lot better in many ways, especially if there's an annual contract uh, yep. in place. So that feels like the obvious way for us to go. In, in this environment, in VC, like to get to Series B, we are going to need to prove our ability to find, talk to, and close those customers and then get them to make referrals. Like that, the repeatability of doing that with 100K contracts is that is the surest way for us to raise Series B mm -hmm. and to build a company that has very reliable revenue with people in annual contracts. Yeah, so makes sense. You know, so so you that is a very different sales process than a self-serve someone that comes in through the big commerce app store and clicks on a button, starts a free trial, and then communicates with us and says, Hey, we, you know, we're ready to talk. And 
the average contract value there is, you know, 20,000 bucks a year. Yeah. How do you op, how do you think about like the just the slow nature of that sales process? Obviously it, it it's fantastic once you have like volume where you have like you know, many leads through the funnel and like at, at, at any given week you've got leads at different stages, like closing every week, but, but each one might've taken months, but in the early stages, it's so, it's so slow of a process that like, how do you, how do you stay sane? So, <laughs> right? so, so it was very important for us to identify mid-market and not enterprise because enterprise, you know, fortune 500 billion dollar retailers, that sales cycle is 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And we, we are not going to focus on that. We'll talk to that merchant, sure. But and it's almost like a balance here. of risk, right? Because it's like you you de-risk in a way because you're it's it's a higher uh, value per customer, right? Like higher higher revenue opportunity. Right. But, within then, but, then it add, but then like the more time of the sales cycle, like that adds risk. Um, yes. The, the important thing to us was that we were comfortable and our investors were comfortable and really when I say that it's really just the people on the board. That's who's like really, really involved. That's another thing I'm learning. You know, the people who gave you money are interested and they're reading your investor updates, but they're not involved the same way that people on the board are. Mm -hmm. So as long as we are comfortable and the board is comfortable with that risk of revenue not growing the same way over the next six months as a sacrifice and investment toward a healthier version of growth, then, then it's cool, right? That's why you raise money. You have a few years money in the bank because it allows you to not think about how do we grow revenue next month, but how do we get this thing to become, you know, a well-oiled machine 18 months from now that adds hundred K a month yep. in, in annual revenue. Yep. So there is risk, but I think as long as we go mid-market, what we're finding is that those customers are somewhere in the 60 to 90 day range from the time they start talking to us to the time they make a decision. So that's, that's doable. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now I want to take this part of the conversation, transition it to you. <laughs> Everything I just talked about is sales. Yes. Very little is marketing. And I, I want to stop talking. I want, I want to hear where you are on marketing these days. And then I'll chime in on what, I've got a, in, I've in got a couple of different things that we could dive into. I think one that's kind of on the marketing side, really the only active project that we have going right now, we're going to do be doing a lot more on marketing later this year. But the one thing is, is um, figuring out our, our SEO strategy, um, SEO content. Like we know that what the, what the strategy is, it's just, how are we producing it? How are we executing it? Um, so I ran a fun, uh, uh, experiment this week. We're in the middle of it. My, my marketing assistant and I, we were taking one of our article briefs. So, so we've already like built a, a really good process for building out a really strong brief for a new SEO driven article. Um, and part of that leverage is like, some chat GPT stuff. Some of it is like our, our own knowledge of the topic and the keyword research and all that. So we've got this really big detailed brief. We, we've been producing a lot of them. We have them all kind of queued up in Notion. Now the question is like, how do we turn these briefs into quality articles, 2,000, 3,000 word articles? Okay. Um, and and I, I also, this we're in a strategy here where, it, where volume actually does matter. Uh, we need to we need to grow our library of content. Um, and I just I 
really start i'm starting to believe that like it's a little bit ridiculous to do it the traditional way of just hiring a writer for every single article without without acknowledging or really starting to embrace chat gpt and ai in this process and so just to start to figure this out we're running an experiment the first brief in our in our list let's hire a writer for that and let's produce an ai version uh, an ai assisted to compare of the compare. same article. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so to, so we've been doing it for the past week. Uh, my really, my my assistant has been driving this whole project. Um, she came back with her findings today. Uh, we we got the draft back from the hired freelance writer, and we've got like a first pass of of building the same article using the help of ChatGPT. Um, both need work, but we both agree that the GPT route is. Is actually the more promising route for us, um, not only for the efficiency, but also for the quality. Believe it or not, like okay, I was going to say, given the drawback and the ratio of quality to drawback, or just you know, straight, straight up quality. I, I hate to say this, but it's the it. Look, this is just the reality, and it's going to become even more the reality in the next few months and years. I mean, the there are. Just it just it is just harder to hire out a pure writer and really outsource it. So mm-hmm. number one, if you need to do volume, like the you got to keep costs down. That's one. But even if you are spending more for a more expensive, experienced writer, you still run into the issue of like, well, that person is not in my company. They're not talking to my customers every single day. They don't know the nuanced use cases for our. Yeah. problem and solution and then how those relate back to the topic that they're writing an article about and all these different like connections right so you sort of need somebody in-house to to make those connections um and that's that's what my marketing person is is for she's she's sort of like our in-house person plus myself but then you get into like okay well if we're gonna do like this volume of articles like we we can't afford thousands of dollars per article um, it makes it makes it impossible. It, it makes it a risk. That's yeah. the issue. It makes it such a huge risk that you have to then weigh whether or not you want to invest in SEO. Yes, and and the thing is, like, it it's also not exactly like just press a button, get an AI written article done, right? It's that's right. That's right. That what what we are doing this week is we're figuring out our process for and a workflow for Aaliyah, my assistant, to, to take a brief. And, well, first she like builds the brief with the help of AI and, and her own knowledge and experience of it. And then she builds it out piece by piece, you know, intro, the next section, the next section, then, then go, going back and having it rewrite and change the tone and inserting references to this other article and, and then re and so it's a whole, it's a whole process and then tweaking the prompting and and we're learning and she's actually doing a second pass now like oh I, I think if i tweak the prompting in this way we're going to get a better result so she's experimenting with all the all this different stuff right now and we're just dialing in our chat gpt assisted article production process and we're actually building a, really a whole new skill set within the company and and a new um process and a new competency and i and i think that more and more saas yeah. either are doing this or will be doing this very soon. Like that's how you're going to start to think about production of content is like, is somebody with a deep understanding of how to manipulate ChatGPT to get the results that you 
need from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. This Um, is, this is the bicycle analogy. It does not replace SEO work and writing. It just makes it go faster, better, more efficient. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, I mean, we're, we're also still, I also really liked this uh, Twitter thread from, from Nathan Barry this week. He, he sort of outlined what ConvertKit has been doing with their brand uh, customer stories cycle where they, they interview a customer, mm-hmm. turn it into a really great podcast episode, into a YouTube video. They, they go above and beyond with like a photo shoot and a video shoot, and then they turn it into more stories. So we want to get into that with, with coaches and, and we have a lot of, coaches in our network now who we can, who we should be interviewing and turning into real case studies and interview and, and podcast interviews. So like that's going to be the more traditional content um, stuff that we can pull quotes and stories from into our article production with the help of again, chat GPT. So it's like a, a lot of mixing and matching there. Um, well, I, I think you hit on, t- I don't know what to do with marketing. But going back to like, yeah, that question of like, all right, what are we thinking? How are we thinking about market? Like, these are just like engines and, and operations that we should be doing to to grow the brand and grow the top of funnel traffic and stuff. Um, but ultimately, I, I do think I, I've another funny experience happened this week. Okay, which made me start to solidify my hunch, which is, you know what? It's ninety percent product. It's ten percent marketing. Um, overall in terms of overall in terms of success in terms of conversions in terms of growth um obviously you this is not zero percent marketing but it's i think that it's so much more about the product and the problem you're solving and who you're solving it for and how well you solve it and everything else is just periphery so like what what happened i'm going to challenge you on that for just a second though because i think i think maybe the success of the company that's a good way to look at it or the ability to convert people into actual revenue but people have to know about yeah. the product you, you got to get them into the funnel of course in order to convert them yes that i think that is where mar- that's the role of marketing is is to grow yeah i just the- don't i just don't know how to i don't know what works but like, there, look, look I, I think the, that I think that the yeah. way that a lot of us think about marketing and projects that we take on internally mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I, there is. It's not that this stuff is like not worth doing and not having these gaps filled, but it matters so much less than we think it does. And I'm talking about stuff like um, onboarding emails, nurture emails, um, even onboarding experiences okay. that I, I'm a, I believe that this stuff is important. But one thing that I noticed this past week was like we had a whole bunch of emails queued up and sending out to people who are within their trial period that were completely wrong, still referencing zip message, like pointing to things that are not even there anymore, um, not even talking about our new features. We we haven't spent time reworking all that stuff for the clarity flow stuff yet. Okay. We still have people signing up and converting every day. Um, and I don't know. And it's almost and, and it's and once I discovered that like some of these I can't believe people have been receiving this email it's like totally wrong, you know, shame. And, and I'm like yeah it's like part shame, um, part of it is like I actually did fix it and then that fix didn't save in in the email tool I don't know but yeah um, but like you know then then it's like I'm not saying I'm gonna like kill these emails 
but they they obviously do need to be fixed. But it's also like how much of an impact and how many people are actually reading this stuff anyway? It the people are still making their way to the to the purchase form and and buying and and we still are having a, a great month in terms of growth. So it's like Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, okay, so I I, I think that's true. They don't. But I, I mean, look, we're, we're not in the promised land yet. Like, obviously, we still need to grow the top of funnel. That's where marketing comes in. That's why we we are investing in SEO. That's why we are investing in affiliates and influencers. And yeah, I'm and, I'm having a yeah. lot of trouble with the difficulty in measuring attribution to marketing because it's just money goes out. And you're just unsure of what comes back. It yep. is it is because it is disconnected from the conversion process. It is not ever they read a blog post, clicked a button to create a demo and turn into a customer. Yeah. So I, I have difficulty continuing investment without knowing what the hell is happening. So I had this strange experience this week. You know, I'm, I'm in cost conscious mode. My mindset is let's make sure every month I look at these big expenses that are outside of labor, outside of salaries, and make sure that they justify themselves every single month. And if not, I should consider cutting it, right? Because I don't want to cut people. But if there's anything that's floating out there that's 3000 bucks a month or 5000 bucks a month or 10000 bucks a month that isn't doing its job and we don't need it, then I, I should not just let it go for six months and then cut it. I, I should be vigilant. Yeah. So this month... SEO came into my, you know, into my view. And I said, all right, here's how much we're spending. And I go to our director of marketing and I say, Elizabeth, I'm thinking about cutting this thing. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And, and, and the conversation, she ended up turning my mindset around. And the difficulty is a lot of it is based on faith. And she's saying, look, it is true that we don't have the attribution. But I can also tell you these big opportunities in our pipeline right now, the ones you're talking about on standup and the ones that you're focused on right now with the sales team. If I go back and look at them, there are multiple touch points with our marketing. There is a LinkedIn post and the blog article. And then a week later, there's something else. And then another interaction. And then they do a demo. And if you want to cut back on this stuff, it's going to have an impact one way or another. You don't know how bad of an impact it's it's going to have, but it will definitely negatively hurt growth. So yeah. Good good luck making a decision based on that. Yeah, I mean when it comes to SEO, like I I do know that like a, a majority of our traffic and leads do come from Google, so I want to keep that engine I want to grow that that model. Keep keep cuz it's like that's the thing that's like I know has has been working, we need to make it keep working and double down, right? Right. So uh, if, if you're in my situation and sales is the thing that's working, how, how much well, I'm that's, that's to, where I, I think in your situation, I would maybe start to sort of side with you on that. Like, I don't, I don't know if I, I, I don't know the specifics in your mm -hmm. situation, but um, not until you, I, I, I would start to question the, the investment, but I think that also it's, I, I really firmly believe this now it's so much more about product first and then marketing one you got to get the product right yeah I, I just really believe that it's about figuring out the the customer 
their problem, the, the product. And and I'm in that phase now. To, I'm back in that phase now where it's like it's and it's harder because we do have leads coming through and we are connecting with coaches with like the best possible customer for us. But we sort of only have like half 60% of the solution that they are looking for in many cases. Um, and that's the painful part where it's like, uh, like it's, we're, we're building the things that you're trying to do right now. So just hang tight. Um, or you can do part of it right now. I've, I've been talking about that. So that that's the challenge. Uh, but when it comes to mark, and so that's why I, I, I want to keep the, the marketing engines turning. Cause I know exactly who we're going for and we got to keep, keep that going. But, um, it's also about resources and bandwidth. I'm like, cause I, I do think it, it's just much more important that we get the product completed so that we have the full solution to sell them. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. that like, it, cause I, what it is, is I'm becoming more comfortable. I've, I've talked about how uncomfortable I am not spending as much time and investment on marketing. Okay. And, and are and, you settling and, into that compromise? And, and, and heavily and, and leaning much more heavily on product for an extended period of time. Like mm -hmm. that's an, as much as I love working on the product, that is an uncomfortable balance for me. I, yeah. I know that like we are under investing in marketing for this period of time. Yeah. But I, but I've started to become more and more increasingly frustrated with not having the product fully completed because I, because it's every single day I get the same requests or I see customers like trying to hobble together mm -hmm. the things that we are literally building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and being, and being unsuccessful because it's because like we haven't delivered it to them yet. Mm -hmm. um, it, it might be and so, so, seasonal in nature too. Six months from today, if you're feeling good about the product and you're shifting over over toward marketing, six months today we should be shifted. We should be fully okay. Okay. full speed ahead. Um, but I but even now sitting here in May, like I, I feel like we're behind schedule on shipping the things that we've known we need to ship because you know i've talked about it it's been taking longer the, the rebrand pushed us back um but if i have to choose between where am i spending my hours and dollars today it's get the product you get the product um yeah it's it's you know. tough i i might be moving over into a different part of the market where that that it, it's different we recently, I love these lessons you learn out in the market that challenge your thinking. So we recently partnered with another company, another product, and we got introduced to them. I learned a little bit about them and they're doing really well. They, they've grown really nicely over the last like 18 months. So, you know, from the outside, that's what everybody wants. So you admire it. You start to build them up in your head. We go to do an integration with them. Product's not good. Product's rough. Mm -hmm. Our engineers are having trouble just getting it to even work. Uh, you know, just not what you would expect on the product execution. And then you know, oh, doing a lot better than we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that begs the question: is like, yes. well, how, how did they get? That's what they right. got. They with, got really. They got good at sales. They got good at closing deals. Sometimes they close a deal, you sign a contract, and and you don't even have an account yet. And that's a that's a slight. I still different. okay. So I'm I'm going to push back 
on, okay. on the pushback. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, they got good at sales, but I firmly believe that every sale starts with a need. They mm -hmm. some they found somebody's need. Yes, and, that's, and they that's found true. it more than once. That's right? true. That's true. Um, yeah, and, and they satisfied enough people to have credibility, so the next person will sign up. And what that does is it buys them time to improve the product because their revenue is going up, and they're attracting investment, and they can invest in engineering. So it's a it's a slightly different bargain where you're not living and dying on the product today because, like, you are in that's high pressure, man. People are walking into your product, and they're making a decision based on the performance of the product right now. And that yeah. is, you know, that's high stakes and it forces you to create a better product and maybe yeah. it's better off for the future, but man, and that's, that's a lot of pressure to deal with. It is. Yep. And I mean, look, I, we both, and a lot of people listening, like you're, you're dealing with some, some sort of runway and some sort of like growth trajectory. And it's like, I, I want them both to happen at the same time. I want us to be growing sales and marketing and having the right product in hand, ready to sell. Um, and, but the reality is like every day we have to choose. Uh, and, and it's like, also like, even if you have resources, you still have to have, you still have, you still have limited focus in the company. Yeah, right? that's right. Where that energy is going. True. You know, Yo, Brian, I got, I got to get a haircut. It's Friday. I'm taking the girls out to a daddy daughter camp thing tomorrow night. Oh, that sounds so we're going to go out, you know, drive an hour into Wisconsin or something. It's not a real camping thing. It's like cabins. It's one night. All the kids run around on their own. The dads are like drinking by the fire, but I'm looking forward to it. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm taking my, my older daughter out to the Mets game tomorrow, hoping that there's window of no rain will, uh, will align with the time of this game. A longer. We'll see. Nice. Yeah. Baseball game in person. You know, one of the, the I, I'm, I'm bored of baseball overall, but in person, man, it's a great way to spend a few hours. Ah, uh, the best. Expensive way, but, it, but it's still fun. True. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Later, folks.